In this clip from the movie Apollo 13, we are inserted into the drama of the critical moment. The moment when, during a routine stirring of the oxygen tanks, an explosion occurred, threatening the lives of the astronauts aboard. And as chaos and confusion break out, everything that could go wrong seems to go wrong. Alarms are going off, critical functions aren't working, and the spacecraft veers perilously close to going off course. And as the situation deteriorates, the astronauts and mission control back in Houston are desperate. They're desperate to figure out what is going on. Now, to my knowledge, no one in this room this morning has ever been on a spacecraft that has threatened to explode. But we have all been in situations where we've had to ask, what's going on? We haven't had to worry about going into gimbal lock, but we have had to worry about what's going to happen to our family after we lost our job, or how we're going to pay the mortgage this next month with all those bills piling up, or if that lump we found is cancer, or how to deal with the loss of a loved one, or why thing after thing after thing seems to go wrong. And in these situations, we're confused. We're overwhelmed by what's going on. We might be scared. We just want to know what's happening. We just want to know what is going on. And when we're in situations like this, it's actually fairly similar to what was going on in the first century. Now let me explain. In the first century, God had a chosen people, Israel. And for thousands of years, God had stuck with those people through thick and through thin, through good and bad, God had favored his people, Israel. But then something happened. This guy, Jesus, came, and Jesus said that he was the Messiah of Israel, this long-awaited person who was going to throw off the tyranny of the Romans, who was going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, and who was going to make everything that was wrong right. But Jesus didn't do all of that, at least not quite. Instead, he came and he died on a cross, and he was resurrected from the dead. And then his followers traveled throughout the Roman Empire, saying that it was through allegiance to Jesus that they would be freed from oppression. It was their belief in Jesus' work, not the reestablishment of a kingdom or a political system that was going to bring freedom. And God's people, Israel, they weren't completely convinced that this was the right thing. They weren't completely convinced by this message, even though other people, the Gentiles, the nations, were. And so in the first century, Lots of people were asking, what is going on with God? What is going on 
with Israel. And for the church of that day, Israel's refusal to believe in Jesus was concerning at best and a really big problem at worst. Now, I tell you all of that to give you some context for what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. And as you know, Paul was an early follower of Jesus. He traveled throughout the Roman Empire sharing the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and writing a number of letters that have made their way into the Bible. And one of Paul's letters was his letter to the church at Rome that we have been looking at here at Rooftop. And for the past couple of months, we have been looking at Romans 9 through 11. And in Romans 9 through 11, Paul is writing about this exact situation. He's talking about how to make sense of the fact that Israel has rejected God while the Gentiles have accepted God. And as people are wrestling with this issue, they're asking questions. And Paul is addressing some of these questions. In Romans 9, he addressed the question of whether God could not fulfill his promises. And earlier in Romans chapter 11, he talked about if God had rejected his people. And these are the sorts of questions that people were asking in Paul's day. They were asking, what is going on? And Paul's response to these questions has been Romans 9 through 11. And as he brings his response to a close, Paul conveys a really important message. An important message for the ancient church and an important message for us today. And his message is this, that no matter what is going on, God will finish what he started. Like Mission Control in Houston, who was determined to do whatever it took to get the astronauts home, God will stop at nothing to complete his mission. So, to dig into this a little bit, look with me at Paul's closing words in his argument here in Romans 9 through 11, what he has to say in Romans 11, 25 to 36. Paul writes, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So as he wraps up his conversation, Paul is going to really get, dig into two questions in this passage. And the first is this big question. What is going on with Israel? And the second is the question, how should we respond when we don't know what is going on? So we're going to look at both of those questions here this morning. So first, the issue that Paul and his Roman audience would have been thinking about, what is going on with Israel? And the key here is verse 25. So look again at verse 25. Paul writes, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery. Paul surmises that what is going on with Israel is a mystery. It's something beyond our ability to comprehend, something that God knows, but we don't. So, after three chapters of explaining what God is doing, Paul comes to the end of his conclusion, and he says, we can't actually know what God is doing. It's a mystery. Thanks, Paul. However, even though Paul says that God works in mysterious ways, and it explains how God works is mysterious, Paul does want to make sure that we understand some of the basics of what God is doing. That is, even though we can't totally understand everything that God is doing, there does seem to be something that we can understand. And that's what Paul wants us to do here. Again, verse 25, I want you to understand this mystery. And it's a little bit like what happened in the show Sherlock. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Sherlock is a BBC production of the mysteries of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Uh, and it's in a set for uh, contemporary London, and it stars Benadryl Cookie Batch and Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch and Morgan, uh, Martin Freeman. Um, so at the end of one of these seasons, um, Sherlock is faced with a choice. His nemesis, Jim Moriarty, ha uh, tells Sherlock that either Sherlock needs to uh, die or that Sherlock's friends, especially Dr. Watson, will die instead. And it's a really tense moment. And soon, uh, the audience and Dr. Watson watch as Sherlock falls to his death off a four-story building. Now, spoiler alert, uh, Sherlock is alive. Dr. Watson finds that out, and we find that out. But what's really interesting about this situation is we don't actually find out how Sherlock looked, made it look like he died, but stayed alive. We have some really clear facts. It looks like Sherlock died. Dr. Watson is convinced that Sherlock died, but Sherlock is alive. But how those three things fit together, we don't ever get a full explanation of that. And it's the same here with what Paul is saying about Israel. We know some facts. Israel has been hardened so that the Gentiles may be saved. 
God is going to finish what he started with Israel, and they will be saved, and all of this is happening because of God's mercy. But how those three things fit together, Paul doesn't actually tell us. It's a mystery. Now, biblical scholars love to theorize about how how those things might fit together, but I'm going to spare us from that this morning. But the key is that like the audience in Sherlock, we know what is happening, but we don't know how it happens. It's still a mystery. Now, I want to confess something to you all this morning. I really like mysteries. More than mysteries, I like solving mysteries, preferably before the end of the show. And I don't particularly like when someone leaves me hanging, when someone doesn't explain what's going on. And so, to be honest, I'm not entirely thrilled with what Paul is doing here. I would really like him to tell me how this is all happening. But the fact that we don't get that information and the fact that the fullness of what God is doing with Israel is beyond us is actually a really important part of what Paul is saying. He's saying that God transcends us. There's nothing in our minds, there's nothing in our intellects that is going to make me fully understand what God is doing. And in fact, if humanity could fully understand God, he wouldn't really be God anymore. He'd just be one of us. And so we have to learn to be comfortable with some level of mystery when it comes to what God is doing. But amidst this mystery, don't miss what's really happening. Don't miss the fact that Sherlock is alive. Don't miss the fact that God is doing something with Israel. Because all of what Paul is saying in these chapters points towards the fact that God will finish what he started with Israel. And one of the clearest verses in this passage is verse 29, which says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That is, under no circumstances is God going to take back what he's already given his people. There are no backseas with God. When God makes a covenant with Israel, he's faithful to them, no matter how disobedient they are. When God says in the Old Testament that he's going to bring all of the nations into his family, he does that, no matter how wrong those nations are. When God makes a promise or gives you a call, he doesn't give up on that, even when things are confusing or you don't know what's going on. And the hard part for us this morning is internalizing that. It's remembering that this truth applies to us, that God will finish what he started in our lives even when things are confusing and we don't know what's going on. And so this is actually the topic of the second question that Paul wrestles with in this passage. And that question is this, how should we respond when we don't know what's going on? We might say, all right, Paul, we believe you. God finishes what he started. We believe you. God, there are no backseas with God, even when I don't understand what's going on. But what do we do? What do we do when we're in an, in an Apollo 13 situation? 
What do we do when I've just been diagnosed with cancer? What do we do when I lose my job? What do we do when I'm hurting, when I'm confused, when I don't know what's going on? And Paul's answer to that question is surprising. At least, it's surprising to me. Because Paul says that when you don't know what's going on, the proper response is to worship God. To worship God. When you don't know what's happening in your life, when you are overwhelmed by circumstances, you should stop and you should give honor and reverence and devotion to God. Now, I'm going to be the first person to stand here and tell you that I don't do that. I don't go, oh, yay, a flat tire on the way to work. Thank you, Jesus. I would much rather praise God after he's fixed my problems, after things have been taken care of, after my wife has been healed, after I've gotten my new job, after all the things that are going wrong in my life have been addressed. That's when I want to praise God. But look at what Paul does here right after he's expressed the uncertainty of the situation and the mystery of what is going on with Israel. He goes into several verses praising God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is so great. God is so powerful. He is so wise and in control of what is going on, Paul says, that we should worship him even when we don't know what's going on. Now, part of what Paul is doing here is called doxology. And that term just means words of glory. And what Paul is doing here is he is giving words of glory to God for God's power and plan to save Israel and the Gentiles. And so when we're in this situation, uh, when we're in situations where we don't understand what's going on, our understanding of circumstances is limited. But what Paul is reminding us of here is that God understands all of it. And the proper response to recognizing God's power and plan is to worship. Now, part of Paul's doxology here comes from Isaiah 40, and that's important because of what's going on in Isaiah 40. Isaiah is a book of the Old Testament that was written in the context of when Israel had been defeated by the Babylonian Empire, they had been wiped out, people had been forcibly removed from their homes, and Israel's capital, Jerusalem, had been destroyed. It was an utterly hopeless situation. But amidst all of that, Isaiah writes this beautiful passage of praise to God for his greatness and his incomparability. And I love what Pastor Eugene Peterson, uh, how, how Pastor Eugene Peterson paraphrases this when he talks about God. He says, 
God doesn't come or go. God lasts. He's the creator of all that you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath. He knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who are tired and gives strength to dropouts. And it's this picture of God, a big God, a great God, who gives strength to his people and never gives up. That is the God who Paul is calling us to worship when we are in confusing situations. Christmas of 2014 was a dark time for the Prollo family. Uh, we had moved to St. Louis that fall, uh, and a lot of things had happened. I was getting my butt kicked in the PhD program I was in. Haley, my wife, was going through a lot of health issues. We hadn't found a church home, and we felt isolated and alone. And uh, on top of all that, we were home for Christmas with all the stress that comes with Christmas. And we were just feeling overwhelmed. We thought maybe we shouldn't have moved to St. Louis. We shouldn't have been involved in the PhD program. We shouldn't be doing what we were doing. And there was a, a lot of questioning on our part. God, what is going on? And one night, I was off running errands. Uh, I was by myself back in Michigan, and uh, I was just driving, and it was just some Jacob and God time. Uh, we, and I was just pouring out my heart, and I was so broken by what was going on. I was so uncertain about what I was going to do as a husband to take care of my wife. And I was so scared about what was going to happen next. And as I was crying out to God, uh, as was my habit, the radio was on, and it was on the Christian music station. And eventually, I stopped talking to God, and I started listening. And as I started listening, I started hearing the words of those songs. And eventually, I turned the volume up so that I could sing along with those songs. And something happened. I worshipped God. Now, my worship of God in that moment didn't change my circumstances. Everything that was going on beforehand was still going on. But what happened was God changed my perspective. He reminded me that he wasn't done with Haley and I. He was going to finish what he had started in our lives. And I remembered that we weren't alone. God was with us, even when we felt confused and afraid. Things were bad, and we were at the end of our collective ropes. But God was still there. It just took stopping in that moment and worshiping him to recognize that fact. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. I don't know why you're here at Rooftop today. I don't know what confusing or chaotic situations you've walked in here from. 
And I don't know where you're asking God what is going on. But I do know that God is going to finish what he has started in you. I do know that God won't leave you alone. God can change our circumstances. But even when he doesn't change our circumstances, he, through the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, is with us amidst our chaos and our confusion and our uncertainty. Even when things are unclear, even when we don't know what's going on, God invites us into his presence through worship. And so in just a few moments, we're going to spend some extra time in worship this morning in application of this message. And no matter what's going on in your life today, I want to invite you, come worship our great and mysterious God. Whatever problems you're facing, whatever uncertainty you have, whatever no good gut-wrenching news you got this week, bring it to God. Bring it to him in worship. Let him reorient you this morning. We can't always make sense of what is going on in our lives, but we can worship the one who does. So stand with me and join the band in worship.